This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In the course of more than 60 years covering Washington politics, our guest today, Helen Thomas, has witnessed a raft of fundamental changes in the way news is gathered and reported. Gone are the days of frequent first-hand contact with the president. Now reporters see the commander-in-chief only at tightly controlled and orchestrated press conferences. In her new book, Watchdogs of Democracy, the Waning Washington Press Corps, and How It Has Failed the Public, Thomas notes that change and characterizes the press as subdued, compromised lapdogs. Thomas has covered the Daily White House beat for every president since John F. Kennedy and now writes a syndicated column for Hearst newspapers. Helen Thomas, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you. How are you today? Come see, come saw. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Up and down. (laughs) Kind of like the administration, I I suppose. (laughs) I don't think anybody can be too happy about what is going on in the world today. No, no, it's it's, it's, uh, pretty sad right now what's going on. That's right. Mayhem. Yes. Yes, it is. Now, what's the most notable thing that you've noticed has changed about the press since you've been covering Washington politics? Lack of guts, a lack of courage, yeah. a retreat on the things they should have been asking about. You know, let the chips fall where they may. We're supposed to be following the truth insofar as we can. And I think we've really been cut off at the past in so many ways, and we laid down and took it. It rolled over. Now, was there a particular point in time where you noticed that happening more, or, it, or would you just come up to the Bush administration and draw the line there? Well, there's always been, you know, a certain amount of uh, reticence, obviously, and uh, the White House has always been secretive, but it's never been more secretive. And the run-up to the war, the, the obvious questions were the whys and so forth that were never asked. It seemed that 9-11 really subdued everyone, including reporters. They're Americans, too, and fear of being called unpatriotic, un-American. I think they, they lost their... Uh, Fine. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that um, there they they seem to have bought into the, the the white? I know not everyone in the. I don't want to start saying everyone in the White House press corps bought into everything that was being said by the administration, but it does seem like the significant players, the the cable news and and, and the network, seemed to go along with the administration in terms of their interpretation of the intelligence and not questioning whether or not. It was accurate or cherry-picked or the rest of it. Um, is that Would that be a fair assessment? I would say you're right. I don't know if they necessarily bought in, but they certainly didn't challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think that the turning point was when uh, Colin Powell, Secretary of State, yeah. uh, who really uh, had a, a reputation for great integrity uh, and credibility, he was became the Pied Piper and people on the fence, and even reporters, you know, who are usually... The one weapon we have is skepticism, Mm -hmm. and who usually are pretty skeptical. uh, Just, uh, you know, well, if Colin Powell says it, well, I I can assure you I was never that 
there from the beginning because I thought it wrong. Preemptive war is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's it's immoral. It's it's illegal internationally. We've signed all these treaties that when you're attacked, yes, obviously you go to war, or or if you if a friend with whom you have a treaty, uh, an ally, then then you promise support, obviously. But you don't do it yourself and do two years in a run-up to drumbeat a war that nobody couldn't quite understand. We had a chokehold on Saddam Hussein. He couldn't make a move. We were bombing him every night. We had the tightest economic sanctions. And what is the most ironical thing now is that we're three and a half years into a war, and if you went to anyone around you and you asked why are we there, you'd get different answers. That is not a way to go to war. You have to have one solidified meaning, and it has to be great and deep. And, and unfortunately, too, there's still close to 50% of Americans who believe that weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. Well, I think we aided and abetted that by repeating the press officers at the White House for two years every day, the drumbeat, every day we heard 9-11 Saddam Hussein, 9-11 Saddam Hussein, weapons of mass destruction, the war on terror, everything was all mixed up. And uh, it's no wonder that people might have gotten a different message. And, and Helen, I get. I want to just point out Maybe real quick. Maybe the right message they wanted. I don't know. But Helen Not Thomas, a laughing matter, no, but. it isn't. Helen Thomas, I wanted to do point out that also, which was even more frightening, and I think a, a real uh, indication of how poorly the press has been doing over these last few years, is that actually more people today believe that there are weapons that weapons of mass destruction were in in Iraq than there was just a year ago. I think it went from thirty eight to fifty yes. percent. There was a poll just that came out that now 50% of Americans believe that weapons of mass destruction uh, were were found in Iraq. Now, that is, I mean, that's really frightening to me, and I I guess it's an indication of how poorly, uh, either informed or how poorly the press itself is doing in this I think it's true. You know, the the two task forces went to, uh, American-led task forces went to Iraq in the aftermath of our so-called victory there, and looked for the weapons. They spent months and millions. Each came back with a reporter saying they they came up empty. And, uh, but it was usually a one-day story. Right. Right. I I don't want to, you know, you go back to Colin Powell, and I just want to indicate, I want to just mention one quick thing about Powell's. I think that what you're probably talking about in terms of the sort of the people on the fence who may have been won over was his appearance at the UN. Uh, and and exactly. we now we on now February know that 5. February 5th, and we now know that he himself, as, at one point, threw the report down on on a desk and said, "This report is," and we can't use the term that he used uh, over the air here to mm-hmm. describe what was in it. So he himself, in some very profound way, understood that this was probably a bad. This was bad intelligence from the beginning. Are and, you talking about before he uh, before February five? Yeah, didn't he didn't he at one point throw yeah, the report down well, and he, say yeah, this is he bull? went to the CIA yeah. several times. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Then then why did he do it? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, a I, good I, soldier. That's what he was. Well, he, yeah. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Okay. Now, anyway. Do you think it's uh, who would you blame more, the the public or the press in this? Because I think the public's become less interested in politics. 
and, and, and what's going on well, in the I world. I blame us because we're the one transmission belt. Mm-hmm. We're the one that, I mean, we're the only institution in our society that really has the privilege of asking the president a question yeah. and getting close enough to the administration to say, well, you know, ask them the very important questions. We represent the people in that respect. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we don't ask the questions and we don't pin them down and demand the answers and follow up and so forth, and we've lost our raison d'etre. Well, does, doesn't this have something to do with the way the Bush administration has treated the press, too? I mean, haven't they cowed from that? Well, yeah. well, that's all right. I mean, I, I never expect to be treated right. <laughs> I mean, not right, but uh, it was any kind of flourish. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you you, ex- you you never go into this business. I hope you have it to be lost. <laughs> you they play their game and you play yours. Isn't that basically what we're saying? Is that they have a reason to try and hold on to information and not release bad information, things that would make them look bad, and it's and it's our responsibility to try and find it. No, I might have no, a sorry. different interpretation. Okay. <laughs> they're, All right. they're public servants. Yes, we pay them. Yes. The taxpayer pays them. Yes. They're not supposed to be making it up. I mean, our lives are at stake, yes. their lives and everything else. So they owe something to the country in terms of just veracity. People can take the untruths. They can, they can take, I mean, they can take anything, but they can't take lies. Yeah. And this country cannot survive lies. You're absolutely right. We're speaking with Helen Thomas, and the book is Watchdogs of Democracy, the Waning Washington Press Corps and How It Has Failed the Public. Do you think Bush is capable of of really responding to the press I, you know do you think that he has the the brains to to be to think on his feet of course i do uh-huh. i do i do i think that he but he also has a very rigid philosophy and he also you know he doesn't seem to be open much unless he's pushed to the wall to to new ideas I mean, his whole idea that you can, it'll be easy to go into a country, third world country, as for the world's only military superpower, and just wipe them out, and thinking that people wouldn't fight for their country. Breathes there a man with souls so dead, who never to himself has said, this is mine own, my native land. Well, even Iraqis say that, and everybody isn't a terrorist. Right. So it's, so it's more of an arrogance on Bush's part than a, than a I would laugh. say just an arrogance on the part of all the neocons who influence his thinking, mm. the Cheneys, the Rumsfeld, and so forth, who really, really thought it was going to be just a cakewalk, as they put it. it, it I, I heard this recently. A hundred people die a day there. Yeah. Right. In, in, yeah, yeah. What I heard recently, what I read recently was that uh, among the administration, um, there were very few people who had actually, among the significant players in the administration, many of them had really never even bothered. They don't. They don't travel. They have not seen much of the rest of the world, um, and uh, the people who have been shaping our policy. Uh, I know that you yourself um, have. Um, in your background, you have uh, Lebanese uh, parents. Is that are you right? Right. I was against Vietnam War from the from forty five on. So okay. it, it doesn't matter what my ethnic. No, I under, no, I'm I against wars uh, that right. are preemptive and. Right. Uh, right. Well, uh, do you have any uh, family uh, currently living in Lebanon? Yes, in Tripoli, which is on the Mediterranean. How are they? Well, they're crying, and yeah. they're in the basement and hoping to get out. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Everybody's moving to Syria. I mean, who can and refugees and so forth. They've got them in yeah. all over the place, and everybody is fleeing. I, they have a right to want to protect their families. Did, now, you heard last was two weeks ago um, on some of the uh, high-profile um, Sunday morning programs. People like Newt Gingrich and others were talking about World War Three. Yeah, well, how how irresponsible do you think that was for these? These these opinion makers to start well, and a potential presidential candidate in Gingrich. Yeah. What 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 was I your think, take on I that? I wish they. I wish we could find some loud peacemaker, loud voice peacemaker. Yeah. Why do they keep you know stirring the fires? I just think they ought to be looking for peaceful solutions. You know, at the White House, they keep saying, "Well, if we really went for a ceasefire, what good would it do right now? Unless we could get a durable, you know, which is baloney, of course. It's yeah. only been going on sixty years this problem." Yeah. But I said, "Well, you know, you might be able to save lives. Yeah, wouldn't that be an incentive?" Yeah, yeah. Well, what good would it do? We could save a few lives. Yeah. Do, do you, yeah? Do you do you see this current situation in uh, the uh, with the Israeli attack on uh, Lebanon? Do you see this? I'll say what everybody else is saying. It's just kind of disproportionate. They didn't expect the whole infrastructure to be wiped out. Right. Right. Uh, the Israelis have nine thousand prisoners, including women and children. Never been charged. Never been tried. Never been convicted. Right. I mean, the U.S. should put a little pressure on to get some of them out. I, I, want, I want to ask you about this because I did hear this. Uh, I've been hearing this over the 9, last... 9,000 or 10,000. I've been hearing this over the last couple of weeks, which is that that the Israelis were responding to the capture of two soldiers on the border with Lebanon. But what is getting very little press is the is the uh, the shelling of that family on the beach in Gaza, which That's happened right. just Eight two people were killed. It just it? happened two days, and then also the kidnapping of uh, a brother and a, a doctor and his brother in Gaza the day before. Yeah, and they also hit the energy plant in yeah, Gaza, in which Gaza. wipes out all the electricity. I mean, it seems to me this is. I mean, it's punitive. Well, what my my question is is. Why isn't that part of the uh, the context for understanding what's going on? Why here? isn't the press bringing that, that up that's a lot what I'm more saying. than that's what I <laughs> what I want to know is why isn't that part of the story? You hear a lot about the two Israeli soldiers who were captured. I have heard virtually nothing about the pre- the the previous two events that were the provocation for the capture or probably the provocation. Well, I, I think in the heat of the deadline, in the heat of the battle, that there's very few reporters who are going to resort to what they think is history, like last week. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> is that the height of cynicism? Yeah, yes, it is. Well, and it's oh, also God. very I don't much. I mean to laugh. No, These are really no. no they, and, well, you, you have you to laugh because the only alternative yeah, is to cry. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to also. I want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Alan Thomas. The book is Watchdogs of Democracy. The waning Washington press corps and how it has failed the public. What's been the reaction among your colleagues to your book? <laughs> Downer. <laughs> I, I, I'm persona non. I had been before, but if there's, you know, I'm wearing a scarlet letter. Is, is that what you were expecting, pretty much? Um, I, I, it doesn't matter. You yeah. know, I said what I had to say. I said what I wanted to say, and. I think that I have to be able to stand the heat. Yeah, yeah. Where does Tony Snow stand uh, among all press secretaries that you've dealt with? Slicker, smoother, uh-huh. better showman, yeah. at home in front of a camera. Yeah. 
uh, and the microphone. Mm-hmm. By the same old message, you know, yeah. he's very, very attuned to what the administration wants, and he's a true believer. I believe. I think he's, you know. Well, he used to he used to uh, sub for Rush Limbaugh when, on his syndicated program, so I, I don't think there's much doubt as to where no. Tony's coming from. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Yeah, he's not as uh, vindictive. But... No, no, and, and M- Scott M- McCullough. Am I saying that right, McCullough? McClellan. McClellan. Had, you could almost see the gears grinding when he was up in front of the press, and he didn't have this kind of glibness that, that Snow does. No, How, but who, he was, I think he he carried the same message, you oh, know, it wasn't just a little bit more glib, as you say. Yeah, now, looking back on press secretaries, and you've obviously interviewed, I mean, you've, uh, you've peppered a few of them with questions, is there one or two that stand out uh, in your mind as being... Uh, some of the better ones? Yes. Uh, the great one was uh, Ter- Jerry Tehorst, uh, President Ford's first press secretary, uh-huh. who uh, quit after one month because his integrity and credibility has been sullied because <laughs> the whole Ford entourage kept from him the fact that uh, a pardon was on the way the for President Nixon, and he kept telling reporters it was not so. Oh, and he had been one of them for 29 years as a reporter. And just he didn't have a future job. He had a family and so forth. But he took a stand uh-huh. that, he, that he doesn't lie to people. How was Pierre Salinger? Pierre Salinger was my one of my favorites because he had warmth, he had wit, and he had entree to the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. He was part of the circle. He knew what was going on. And he might not exactly always tell you what was going on, but he'd steer you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Other than the Hearst newspapers, what, what would you say is your favorite newspaper? Where do you go for news right now? Well, I open the door in the morning and I get the Washington Post, New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, get dressed as ha- rapidly as I can and go to <laughs> Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then start dipping into the comic strips first because exactly. they have tell us the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I go to the front page. Uh, well, um, well, speaking of the New York Times, did you ever have a chance to uh, oh, yeah. talk to Judith Miller? Uh, I have only met her in, in passing. Uh-huh. I have not talked to her about the situation, and you know, uh, what was your interpretation? I do think she took a very admirable stand. Okay, but I'm so sorry that she listened to obvious defectors with an axe to grind. Uh-huh. Who whose credibility was zilch? Yeah. Are we talking about Curveball or Shalabi and all those? Shalabi, yeah. Shalabi was render, interesting. After they basically declared victory in Iraq, like four days after we were there, then he went to either Paris or London, and he gave an interview to a foreign correspondent. I think it's a London uh, British reporter, and he said, "Yes, it's true. We said there were weapons of mass destruction, and you know what?" There weren't any, oh. but we got the American troops here. And that was what mattered, huh? Yeah. Now, let me ask you, among your colleagues, do you have pe- uh, particular people that you admire, you look up to in their in terms of their ability as a journalist? Sam Donaldson. He yes. was doing my pal. Okay. We, we could make a stand together. You guys <laughs> but, used to sit next to one another, didn't you, in the in the press room? Am yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you had some backup, you know. Yeah. It kind of helped. <laughs> I've never forgiven him for saying, get over it, yeah. uh, <laughs> regarding the election, you know, the... the, the uh, I wish he was around. He's, yeah. a, he's a, not only, you know, had high integrity, but fun, too. Well, was, was, what is he doing now? 
Well, he does broadcast. He's he's uh, very much part of ABC. Oh, he still does. ABC. They wouldn't let a star like that go. I hope. Yeah. Okay. You still have a differentiation between print and and television reporters. You think not, that's gotten not so much? The lines are really blurred now, yeah. and they're much more TV, and they're much more high profile, and they have priority priority, and you yeah. can't blame them because. President knows he can reach millions of people on television, and with a print reporter, that you know, much it, less. Has has the star system really hurt the the national press? Is that is that one of the factors in 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 the reason that that we're not as vigilant as they they have been? In other words, their 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 protection of their access, and by having access, then they get on Larry King and they get on the high profile TV shows. The, I'm talking about the journalists who who do this. Uh, does, is that part of what what's going gone on in in some? In... I don't think it's that. I hear more more and more. I hear criticism, and I can't prove it. It's the corporate domination, you know, yeah. and the dwindling down monopoly of the media into yeah. a few few hands, a few giants, and well, so I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that playing ball with the administration is. It's very bad, really, when you, you don't allow the pictures and the initial of an invasion and so forth. Don't have any uh, photos of the coffins right. flag, or flag-draped ceremonies. or right. I mean, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it all seems very, very distant. And yeah, very... we're not touched by it. We're comfortable. Well, then let me ask you. I mean, first of all, let me once again. Helen Thomas, we're speaking of the Helen Thomas Watchdogs of Democracy, the waning of the Washington Press Corps and how it has failed the public. I, I want to ask you just how are we going to, are we in a lull that you see us coming out of? Are the blogs helping? Is there some? Are there, is there something on the horizon where you see journalism? Does it take some kind of foreign foreign policy catastrophe like like what we're seeing in Iraq for us to get some some uh, guts, some balls, I don't know what the word is. Do you have any hope? Yeah. What, what do you see? I uh, have lots of hope. I can tell you that I really think that the rank and file is pointing the way, not the press per se. Yeah. Rank and file is fed up with a war where you cannot, where no one can explain why we're there really. And hundreds of people, a hundred at least, are dying every day. Yeah. Uh, there, There's no, you know light at the end of the tunnel, and they see the emptiness of such killing and being killed. I mean, I honestly believe it's coming from the people who say, you know, we've had it. That isn't maybe totally, maybe I'm wishful thinking, but I don't think so. I really think there's a groundswell now, and I think it shows a lot in the president's lack of popularity down to in the 30s still, and uh, and the fact the very fact that he will not go for a ceasefire, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It is unbelievable. You know, every president I've covered, as I say, has been leaned toward Israel. Fine. But they've all wanted to stop the killing and hostilities, and you know, that's the only way you can talk. Yeah. Well, Helen Thomas, thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. The, the book is Watchdogs of Democracy. And, and, and thanks for all your stellar work over yes. the years too. I know a lot of people you know, here at KUCA want to pass yeah, that along to you. We have been we've been telling obviously telling people about this, and we have and it's just been remarkable. The reaction has been universally that uh, you are among the finest journalists that we have, and certainly uh, we hope you maintain and uh, continue to do the great work you, well, you do. But that's not true, but it's a nice compliment. <laughs> yeah. And by the way... And you're self-effacing. You. And, by, and, by the, and by the way, may, may I say uh, happy birthday a couple of days early to you. <laughs> Thank you. Right, Bye-bye. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.